welcome back uh, to the, the return at long last of the KBCW Fabulous Friday film panel. Maybe a whole new world, but, you know, we're still around. And uh, we have uh, uh, three of our Friday film reviewers have been able to join us to my immediate right. Hey, Mark Harrington, how you doing? Good morning, Rick. Yeah, yeah. And over at the at the, uh, at the at the end of the table, we've got the, the fabulous Barbara Bretz. Good morning, Rick and everyone. And, yes, and calling in from an undisclosed location uh, uh, is, uh, hey, Libby, Libby Wadman. Hi there. Yeah. I think I'm here. You are. <laughs> oh, wow, voices. This has been a tough morning. Poor John. He's been trying to get me connected, and we're having to do this sort of the quasi old-fashioned way yes yeah uh, now I uh, I don't remember but I, I think I think uh, did, uh, do you guys remember did we did we have a film panel after after Sundance 2020 did we get together for that I don't think so I wasn't part of it if we did no I think you just had the, the rap with Sean means on the last Friday yeah, and I yeah, think that, uh, that was, was uh, that was yeah. semi panel like but yeah. it wasn't the Friday film review panel yeah yeah well the let's see if we can take you back a year and a half because I wanted to a ask you guys if you uh, if, if you remember uh, the uh, uh, before the crapdemic hit and, and theaters were kind of shut down. It's like, now, uh, Mark, what, what do you remember the, the, the last, do you remember the last time you were in a, uh, uh, in a, in a movie theater uh, before the, uh, you know, things changed? It was, a, it was a tough process to try and go that far back and, and remember, and it, it came down to, I think, a tie between Sonic the Hedgehog with my son, <laughs> which was a surprisingly good throwback film of a conversion of a, a cartoon to the big screen and, and they did a great job with that for what it was uh, but then I checked my notes and I, I have to say it was The Invisible Man um, I think it was the last film I saw in the theater which I we can come back to I don't know if the others want to weigh in first but I think it, it also paints a picture of of um, because Universal got really lucky with a success there, I think, and smart at, uh, at the same time because that that film uh, proved to be an example of how the industry could still succeed. But we can come back to that. But in terms of um, Elizabeth Moss' performance uh, as a re remake of, of a, a film that's been done a number of different ways, uh, it was a great a great film uh, theater experience to leave off with. Yeah, the. Uh uh, and Barb. I, as far as I can remember, my last film was the closing film at Sundance because uh, my husband, being European, was actually following news in Europe, and we were kind of tuned in to what was going on with the pandemic even during Sundance. So I pretty much did not go into theaters after Sundance, and it was Falling, the film written and directed by uh, Viggo Mortensen. Mm. Yeah. What was that one about? It was about Vigo 
caring for his father who was gradually coming down with dementia. And I mean, it was very well written. It was an interesting film. It showed a totally different side of Vigo than we were used to seeing. And um, I really enjoyed it. I can't remember if it, when or if it was released because so many films from that year, you know, that we really enjoyed at Sundance were hoping to be released in April, June, July timeframe. And most of them, if not all of them, were delayed. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Libby, what, what, what's your memory of that, that, that time period? Oh, it's very vivid. That was my last public, if you will, um, anything, uh, because it was the day Summit County shut down. And I went to see Emma. There were two other people in the theater, and we sat as far apart from each other as possible. And as we walked out the door after the film uh, up at the Holiday Village, they locked the doors behind us. That was their last last hurrah, as it that were. Was, that was it, last call for cinema for a while. Yeah. Oh. They, uh, and, 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 and my... Uh, uh, my memory is uh, the the one the one that stuck in my uh, is like Barb said. I I, I think uh, one of the last I saw was a uh, was a Sundance picture, which is uh, one of the was is a uh, Minaru, uh, Minari or something. Mm-hmm. The uh, Minari. The the big grand jury prize winner, I think, at Sundance that uh, uh, went to see that at the Eccles, and uh, and that was I I had to look can go back on the computer records and see what I uh, what I reviewed but I, th- I think uh, like Libby I think on the verge of uh, of things shutting down I think I went to a theater and reviewed uh, uh, the Pixar animated film Onward which was a uh, film about the these two elf brothers kind of the elf versions of, of, of David Spade and Chris Farley out on a quest and all, all this other stuff going on but uh, uh, you know since uh, so Libby, you, you got to uh, you, you got to a, 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 a theater uh, one one last time just before they shut the doors, and then what uh, what is your uh, uh, what's your movie going life been like uh, uh, since since that time? How how do you how 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 do you access cinema? Uh, on my sofa with homemade popcorn. Um, I just use the streaming services. I still have yet to go to a movie theater. I have figured out where they are around here, but I have yet to go to one because the Delta variant is quite strong around here. So um, I'm just, I still kind of avoid people in closed spaces if I can. Yeah. Are the, 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 the theaters are the, the theaters open? Yeah, the theaters did open. Um, I don't know, um, and they they opened to partial capacity. I don't know how full they actually got, and I don't know where they stand right now um, because things have kind of turned around a bit here um, in the L.A. County area. Um, You know, we had to go back to wearing masks inside, so um, wherever you go. So I don't know what the theater situation is. I haven't really looked into it because I, I'm just not going there. Yeah, yeah. And, 
uh, and Barb. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Holiday's still closed, isn't it? Redstone is open, Red, yes. and the precautions that they're taking here is uh, unvaccinated people are requested to wear masks. When you come into the theater, you have to go to a computer screen and pick the number of tickets you need for the number in your party, and then they space, they allow space in between, and so they are taking a lot of precautions. I've only been back into the theater three times in the last year and a half, and they have not been very full. I mean, even with uh, the last one I went to was in the Heights, which premiered this spring, and I really wanted to see that on the big screen, and I, there were very few people in the theater and very far spread apart. Uh, you know, I really didn't feel at risk at all, and I'm really appreciating seeing that film on the big screen. I'm not much of a movie streamer at home. Um, I've caught up on a lot of binge watching of TV series, uh, Ken Burns documentaries and things my husband would enjoy too. We usually don't share the same taste in films, so we're better off with documentaries. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Mark, uh, have you been back in uh, regular theater uh, to any extent? Yeah, for me, it's been a little bit the opposite. I've gone, uh, you know, fairly frequently since they've reopened, um, probably once a month. Uh, same experience, though. It's not, I've probably been to three or four films where I am literally the only person in the theater. Um, so for me, it's been kind of like flying. And during COVID, it was outstanding. You know, there's great customer service. Everything's super clean, and no people, and they leave. You know, leave me alone. So um, that end of it's been great. Uh, but it's it's been sad to see the the theaters empty, and, and you know, going to a film has always been you know a communal uh, kind of experience. It's always fun to be part of an audience reaction to a film and, and sure. have those post-film conversations and that's been hard because I've gone alone with a mask and been there alone and yeah. the one film um, I had two other people recently w for um, The Green Knight and, and they walked out halfway through <laughs> so I, I was still alone <laughs> Oh, the, the 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 other people in the audience. Uh, yeah, they yeah. Were, they were they were they were some of the um, those that were got the false expectation that the Green Knight was actually about the Knights of. Uh, of, of King Arthur in an action film when it was quite the opposite. Mark, that totally sounds like my experience watching Cats when I was the only one in, in the world that really wanted to see that movie. That was pre-pandemic, and I was very much alone. Yes. Well, the... Uh, 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 I, uh, I always, I always wondered about the reaction of the audience that uh, you know went to, uh, that might have gone to see the, uh, the, 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 the drama, uh, twenty twenty eight days about the woman going through re uh, alcohol rehab, and the, the, but they end up going to the movie twenty eight days later later about the zombie outbreak. Yeah. So, or vice versa, you yeah, know, depending yeah. on... Either way, yes. Is yeah. It, is it, where, where's Sandra Bullock? I mean, why, why are all the drunks frothing at the mouth and attacking people? I don't understand, Maud. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, the studios still have a problem with... Uh, it always, every, invariably, every, um, especially summer season, it seems like there's two films with nearly exactly the same name. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I, I, as far as uh, live uh, live movie theater, myself, I, I got uh, 
Uh, I think uh, a little while back, I, I went to the Redstone to see Cruella, which is a, uh, which was okay. And then uh, about uh, la last year, maybe around oh, September or something, they had made an effort to open nationwide to open the, the theaters again. So one of the one of the blockbusters they led with at that point was uh, uh, was Christopher Nolan's movie Tenet. Uh, uh, which uh, uh, was interesting, but I, I, I still don't know what the hell that picture is about. So I'm not sure it was a, it was a, uh, a, I'm not sure that, that it was a great choice for uh, 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 for an effort to try to get the audiences back in the theater. I mean, I mean that that, that movie was so complicated; it, it made. It made his picture Memento look like, you know, two plus two equals four. Uh, so it, uh, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, maybe I don't know if we still know if, uh, uh, if what we're going to, uh, what our movie habits are, are going to be like. It's like, it was like Libby said, you know, is it, uh, uh, you know, similar to the, uh, to the question that they raised about, you know, office workers, are, are people going to get so used to working, working uh, uh, from uh, from home on a Zoom, or that are they ever going to really get back into the habit of of going to an office to work? And has that permanently changed? You know, I think that the business was in the process of changing even pre-pandemic, just with all the new platforms and things that are out there. I think COVID really speeded up that process. But I think just like with the business world, we're going to learn to keep what works. But I think some of the facets, especially like Mark mentioned, watching a film is such a communal experience. And those of us that go to Sundance really emphasize that. So I, I just would hate to give up that experience. And I hope that festivals like Sundance, they can keep what works in making it a hybrid, you know, doing some more virtual than they have in the past. But I sure hope they don't give up the in-person screenings. Yeah, I hope not. No, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I, I, I did watch In the Heights from my sofa and it, it was I had a much better experience, I, Libby. I, I'm sure you did. That's what I'm saying. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've watched it three times again since then um, because I, I just loved the movie and watching the movement and stuff. And, you know, on the big screen, it would be even more impactful. But I, I am glad that I had the opportunity and the option at this point um, in our world to, to watch it from my sofa. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that they figure out, you know, something that that is a blend of what they have come to and what we used to have. Um, and, be, you know, I, I thought about it and said, oh, man, it'd be so awful just to, to you know, move, to, move away from movie theaters in any way. And, but then I thought, you know, sometimes things happen and, and this is when things change. Our world is certainly not the same world it was, for better or for worse, than it was 200 years ago. You know, I mean, things, things happen, we, we change and we adapt. And, and so I'm hoping that 
a movie industry will look at this and and try to make some adaptations that will enhance the whole movie going experience for many more people because i know like out here to go to a movie you know it, it costs you at least one arm if not an arm and a leg and compared to what it costs yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> forget the popcorn yeah, so, um yeah well we're going to take a, a short break and we'll be right back with the uh, KPCW f- fabulous film panel. And, uh, uh, you know, in the last year and a half, you know, emerging out of the ruins, out of the wreckage. Uh, uh, but, you know, in, in terms of just, you know, films that you thought were good, Mark, you know, what uh, uh, either, the, you know, f- films that you were reviewing in the last little while or just stuff you saw for fun. Uh, uh, what... Uh, uh, what were some of the the memorable uh, the memorable high points, and if if you can if you can bear at the low points? Well, I think it's been a, like everything a mix. I think the the video on the <coughs> excuse me video on demand world has been um, somewhat torturous to navigate. I think the new dominance of algorithms and and just constant new. Uh, efforts uh, by the main platforms to sort of uh, push certain product over others has made it really hard for the layperson to really get a sense of of sort of the art of film that I think people used to have an easier time navigating through traditional sources. And so, um, but I think, you know, I still gravitate towards, um, I, I thought we had great success, obviously, with the independent films. I think Sundance had a really good year, and I think you're seeing the benefits of that now with the, the distribution of CODA, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Summer of Soul, all doing very well and, and getting out. Um, and I don't think you can go wrong with any of those three films. Uh, highly recommend them. Uh, very different. Um, but um, in terms of... The, the demand market, I think it's been surprisingly mediocre. I, I, I would have hoped that some of the um, studios would have pushed more product out as COVID became longer and longer, and instead you've seen delay, 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 and instead you've seen the, this sort of hybrid distribution of things that have either been rushed or that were just mediocre uh, from those that wish me dead from the surprisingly usual which was surprisingly bad given the usual steady hand of um, Taylor Sheridan and um, to things like um, I'm trying to remember just any number of those small films that you you had hope for. Fatherhood I think was sort of uh, one that you, you wished was better. It was still pretty good in terms of Kevin Hart taking against type role there, um, which you know had a crossover appeal in terms of kind of redefining the role of the, the black father in a non-traditional way. And he, he, it's a project he sought and I think delivered on. But I, th- I think the you know it just didn't get enough you know kind of post-production edit attention and I think you saw a lot of films with that and I think people forget the role that, of the editor and the editing process that, that really can make the difference between a mediocre film and a great film and I think a lot of that process has likely been sacrificed as, as the studios rush to 
to the, the, the video release. Yeah, and, and Barb, what did, uh, uh, what are some of your highlights? And uh, did you see some, can you imagine the pictures you saw on streaming or whatever, uh, were they the kind of pictures that you think you would get a crowd on a Saturday night or at least a crowd at, you know, the, the Tower Theater, that kind of thing? You know, like Mark said, it's hard to figure. I've seen a lot of films at Sundance that I just thought were going to be incredible to, in the market and really didn't. Uh, a couple that I want to add to the ones that Mark mentioned were Together Together, um, Bring Your Own Brigade, which is very timely with all, it's a documentary about the fires in California um, in the same breath, which is about the pandemic. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's just been released on maybe Hulu. I'm not real sure. Fascinating. Not just the information that you learn during that documentary, but how it was put together during the pandemic with remote crews and remote interviews and just the whole aspect of movie making during the pandemic. How creative some of these casts and crews became with just producing some of the films we saw. Um, but I also wanted to mention, I, I, I said how we get into documentaries at home, Judas and the Black Messiah, which premiered at Sundance and went on to be one of the Academy. In fact, the actor, I think, won for Best Actor, did he yeah, not? Uh, I know yeah, it was, won some big awards, I, but I, anyway. It, was, uh, uh, it did win an award, uh, and uh, when we get to the Oscars, there's a mystery that I'm hoping, hoping you can clear up. Okay, well, what I wanted to mention is Judas and the Black Messiah, from doing research on that film, I found out about a 14-part PBS documentary from the 80s called Eye on the Prize, and it's all about the civil rights movement in America. So Judas and the Black Messiah turned me on to this PBS series, which we've watched maybe four or five of the 14 episodes. And it blows your mind, especially when I think those events were happening in my lifetime. They were not at all a part of my particular life growing up in small town no diversity whatsoever, Southern Indiana, but it's so eye-opening. And I mean, this is an era where anybody who really cares about our country needs to do some research in our history and learn the facts. And these documentaries that are coming out and some of the dramas that are coming out based on real historical figures and events, I think are so eye-opening. I, I've really enjoyed those. I've been amazed by them. Yeah. The, uh, and, uh, you know, Mark mentioned uh, one of the major films uh, coming out uh, as uh, CODA, and, and CODA was like one of, one of the, uh, in the history of Sundance, I, th I think it was one of the Grand Slam winners. Uh, what, five major awards, the only film to have won five major right. awards. And it's a remake of a French film. Did you realize that? Oh, the the main difference being that the French cast did not contain deaf actors, where the, uh, maybe not the majority, but the several of the key actors in the cast of CODA, including Marley Matlin, and most people remember from, I think she won an Academy Award in Children of a Lesser God years right, ago. Right. But um, it, it, it was phenomenal, that movie, and what they did as a cast. And you could tell from the Q&A, you know, what respect they had for each other and, and really a phenomenal time just making that movie. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to use that to kind of steer into Sundance a little bit. And I know Barb is famous for, uh, she, she may be the record holder among us as far as the number of Sundance pictures. That, that, that she, she puts me in the shade way, way big time. But, uh, uh, well, plus we rarely compete on going to see the same films, Rick. Yeah. You somehow managed to find yeah. 30 that I would never even want to that's, go and see. That's true. I'm, uh, <laughs> I get to the midnight shows. In a normal world, I get to the midnight shows that, that you might decide to pass up. But uh, 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 in the virtual Sundance th this year, what were what were some of your highlights? Oh, I mean, I think we've mentioned most of them. I'm I'm trying to think. One for the Road was, uh, I think, a Thai film that I saw, a foreign film that was really good, and there was also a German film. I'm not remembering the name of it, but we've really mentioned already the main lineup. Uh, the Rita Moreno documentary I found fascinating, and I think that played at our drive-in here this summer. Uh-huh. And, and we'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to get to the revival of the drive-in a little bit later. Uh, 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 Libby, what, uh, how much were you able to participate in virtual Sundance? Uh, I mean, did you sit on the couch watching Patton Oswalt on his couch hosting the, the, hosting, hosting the award show? I, I only wish I could say I did, but um, life was pretty chaotic out here with my move and various things that had to be done immediately to the house in order to live in it. Um, and I just did not get Sundance set up this year. I have seen some of the Sundance films since, um, Summer of Soul being a really outstanding one for me. Um, but yeah, I was very sad this year that I didn't get to participate in any way. Mm. So next year, hopefully I can participate at least online if if they're going to continue that which i hope they do it sounds like it it sounds like they the, 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 yeah. in part in part virtual and uh and I guess they're going to this. Uh, they they are trying to get back to live audiences that will. Uh, uh, I, I think they're requiring uh, vaccinations. Vaccination status, and it seems like th that that would be fairly easy to do because we're, everybody gets your ticket tickets online. Uh, so uh, so isn't it just easy? You're going to the computer anyway to get your tickets, and, and online you can supply whatever documentation they need about vaccination. So it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's such an online experience, it sounds like they should be able to, to do that. Um, but any, any uh, uh, I don't know, Mark, as far as, you know, how much you were able to see the virtual Sundance this year, last year. Yeah, I found the, the new platform fairly accessible and easy to navigate. I think, you know, it's always a balance. I think festivals, by their nature, thrive, again, on, on that, that sense of community and participation, but that also means exclusivity and personal attendance. That, and so I think it provided Sundance an opportunity to uh, enhance their micro-distribution, if you will, instead of a festival being about an opportunity to daylight a film and find an, uh, you know, a small audience at, for a path to a possible distribution. I think festivals will adjust to be micro-distribution in and of themselves with online platforms, as you saw, utilized in, in, the, in this hybrid model. And I think 
that's not something necessarily to, to fear. I, I think like the expansion of digital libraries, I, I think we can all embrace that. And again, just, just as we were discussing earlier, people will still want to go to, to film 70% you know, even even the bean counters say will say that 70% of adult adults in, um, or moviegoers still want to see a film on the big screen. Uh, you know, I think the sh the shifting demographics of that will present um, you know new new challenges to festivals as well, but new opportunities. And I think with social equity goals and you know festival locations in exclusive places like. You know all the all the big majors and inclusive of Park City and Telluride and internationally with Berlin and Toronto. Those are hard for people to attend, and I think now you have you know these these festivals have an opportunity to expand, um, further expand you know audiences, which is their primary goal is exposure and help independent filmmakers find audiences. And to the degree these platforms allow that, and, and as long as they solve the little 24-hour video <laughs> on-demand windows, which they did after a couple days once they solved that little that little wrinkle um, you know it, it it was pretty easy to utilize so I'm, I'm looking forward to a hybrid format and and I hope um, and expect Sundance will still continue to thrive here in Park yeah. City uh, I hope so well I, I hope so and economically for Park City I, I hope so because uh, other, otherwise I, I don't think any uh, you know hopefully Sundance can still thrive here because I think all of us have paychecks that depend on that <laughs> Uh, the uh, you'd still like to have you know the communal thing where you get the uh, the, the the big audience and the echoes and the uh, the, str the strange audience that after the Jim Santee that fights with each other after the picture and uh, and the weird audience at the midnight show I, I I still I hope we still retain that um, the uh, uh, but uh, from swinging from the uh, uh, the uh, film event of 2021 uh, uh, Sundance and we got a couple of months later to the Oscars which were uh, 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 you know I'm, I'm aware of uh, who won the awards but I don't uh, I don't think I saw the uh, I don't think I, I saw the show it's like if you had an Oscar ceremony in the woods and no one was there has it really happened? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 we can only talk about Glenn Close's dancing for so long. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Well, and also I, th I think uh, uh, was it Libby? Did you uh, uh, do a Hillbilly Elegy? Speaking of Glenn Close. Yeah, I did. Is it? I, did. I, I have heard. I've heard that Glenn Close's performance was one of the few cases in Oscar history where she she got for the same performance she got nominated for an Oscar and also a Razzie at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Only Glenn Close could do that. <laughs> to, to steer that narrow that that. Uh, uh, that uh, to, to skate that narrow line and touch on, on poignant and ludicrous at the same time. I guess that. Uh, that would be kind of that movie. <laughs> that was it. Um, you know, her character was written so stereotypically, and I'm not sure, given her the writing material and stuff, what what she could have done. I mean, you look at it and you think, wow, she's done a great job, but on the other hand, it's a very stereotypical performance, and I, I think that's 
probably where the Oscar and the Razzie stem from. Um, but depending on how you look at it, um, depends on which award you think she should get. Hey, Libby, did you happen to see her performance in Four Good Days, which I think maybe was at the 20... 2020, I believe it was at the last in-person Sundance. She starred with Mila Kunis in Four mm-hmm. Good Days. I, I haven't seen her no. in the elegy, but in that particular movie, she plays the mother of an addict who she tries tough love, you know, for like the 15th time. This daughter has shown up in a mess and she tries to lock the door on her and just not get involved again but the role in that movie she was excellent I see John Burdick nodding I think he's seen the movie as well so if you haven't seen Four Good Days check that one out yeah well I mean I have to say Glenn Close usually gives fabulous things and as I said just looking at what she did in Hillbilly Elegy from the standpoint of just her performance she was quite good Mm-hmm. It's just that there were aspects of that movie that um, played to certain stereotypes. And so that could get in the way of somebody just enjoying her performance for the value of the performance. That sounds a little bit like my review of Stillwater that just aired this week, too, with Matt Damon. Check that one out. Uh-huh. The, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, just yeah. going back to the Oscar ceremony itself. I mean, it's clearly in trouble. Uh, you know, and as someone that often gets accused of overthinking things, they... I think the Oscars production has just been overthinking things. They're caught in too many tug-of-wars, both politically, internally, social equity, all of the above, and, and they're trying to serve too many masters. I think they have to make the changes that they have to make to be more inclusive and, and give you know, a better representation of the industry. That goes without saying. That said, this isn't rocket science. It's entertainment. Show good clips. Isolate speeches, integrate the music, and and keep an entertainer as the focus of the production team, not 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 an experiment like we saw last year, and not the year before in terms of just com- comedians. You know, migrating isn't going to do it. Don't forget, 2020 was the second worst, <laughs> lowest rating Oscars ever. And so they, regardless of COVID, they were already on the wrong trend. And so you know they should they should go you know, um, and and I just think it's back to basics for them. And they got to rely better on clips. You know, it's hard when you the biggest challenge they have is when you have so much of your content for a production that's ad hoc through long speeches. Obviously, it's hard to control a flow or tempo, but I think it has been done. I think any student of the production can go back and look at what's working hasn't and just, you know, it doesn't have to be reimagined. They just have to change the rules so it's actually fair and representative and then get back to basics. I totally agree with that back to basics. I mean, I, I agree it was a little maybe too low-key this time, but sometimes like the opening and closing ceremony of the Olympics, it just, it loses focus on what the program or what the event is really all about. And I agree if they really had more entertaining clips and um, music and, and really what the basics of why we go to film, um, I, I would appreciate it more. Yeah, let me, let me. Yeah, re- I think oh. it's kind of gotten old hat the way it is and they keep messing with it nothing is quite right and I think people have just um, I, I know my, my interest level in the Oscars um, in terms of watching 
the ceremony is much lower than what it used to be. I mean, that used to be a big thing with mom, can I have permission to watch the Oscars tonight on television? You know, my homework's all done and stuff. I mean, I've, I've watched the Oscars most of my life and I have to say I find them not the least bit interesting anymore. It's like, I, oh, I'll catch up with that the morning after and find out who won. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got to bring back Rob Lowe dancing with Snow White. Uh, yeah, they, they, they go for that. But hey, let me let me run briefly through the uh, just the, the major winners and uh, and and get some reactions from everybody. Best picture, I, I believe, was Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the yeah. the lady, I, I haven't seen that one. I, I saw another picture that she did called the Cowboy, which is the, these interesting. Uh, 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 portraits of uh, people of the American West, but the kind of damaged people trying to trying to get through things. Uh, Anthony uh, Anthony Hopkins won for the father. It was a little bit of controversy because uh, the, the uh, best actor didn't go to Chadwick Boseman uh, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and. Uh, uh, best supporting actress was Yu Jun Yoon, who was that that that's from Minari. Minari. Minari, who was the kind of the spunky spunky <laughs> grandma, uh, spunky grandma, uh, <laughs> with a Sundance winner that became an Oscar nominee, and uh, uh, Frances McDormand, and this was uh, and and. and this didn't attract much attention, but Frances McDormand joined the that select group of people who have three acting Oscars, small group of six or seven people, and uh, you know she she picked up her third, and and, oh, wow. uh, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya for for Judas and the Black Messiah. Now uh, now Barb saw that. Who uh, who else on the panel saw that one? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Maybe oh oh they all did okay they can explain uh, the, the, you maybe you guys can all clear up this mystery. Uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya was nominated for best supporting actor, and the other the other major performer in the movie, Lakeith Stanfield, also nominated for best supporting. Do you get, any of you guys know who the heck were they supporting? <laughs> well, I'm surprised that they were both nominated for supporting. And actually, Lakeith Stanfield, I think, should have been uh, nominated as Best Actor. I mean, he was Judas in Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, I think either one of them, it would be hard to pick maybe which one should have been supporting and which one should have been starring. But I was surprised that they were both both in the starring or uh, supporting category. Yeah, I, I don't know who the who at the studio uh, that you know uh, plotted the strategy for that picture. Yeah, I don't get no. that either. Although I'm really glad that Lakeith got some attention because yeah. we have seen him here at Sundance in so many excellent films, and I just don't think he has gotten the right. credit and the attention that he deserves. So I hope going yeah. forward, maybe he gets. It's a little more spotlight. Right. And they were together in the classic uh, film that premiered at Sundance, Get Out. <laughs> which, which I went to thinking it was a comedy. <laughs> uh, well, we'll take a little pause uh, to pay tribute to our underwriters, and then we're going we're tr- to get back. We'll try to do a little, uh, little, a little bit of movie, movie nostalgia. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. And welcome back. Yes, it's a well. As we're talking about the brave new world of movies and and, and streaming and everything, I, I wanted to sort of look back at some of those old movie going traditions. And and Barb uh, a couple of months ago brought up the the, the topic that, ironically, the, with the pandemic, that there was a, a little bit of a small revival of of the drive-in. I don't know how small it was. I mean, it turned out to be a big success here, and I can't imagine that that same thing hasn't taken place around the country. Sure, yeah. The uh, uh, how often were you? Did you have time to get to the to the Park City uh, Park City uh, uh, drive-ins, and what kind of stuff were they showing? believe I went at least five times last summer. I seem to have been occupied this summer. I've seen a lot of the things that they showed, so I haven't been back as often this summer, but I just thought it was great, and I think we were so craving opportunities to be outside and together and celebrating, and what I remember being so funny from last summer, and I think they showed it again this year, was The Princess Bride, and if you remember some of the scenes from the Princess Bride, they make several remarks about masks. Who is that masked man? Well, of course, everybody sitting in the parking lot was wearing a mask, so that got a big laugh. And then later on, one of the characters said, oh, I think it'll be a trend that'll catch on in the future. And again, you know, what better line? Yeah. Uh, Mark, uh, did you uh, uh, get to the the, uh, the drive-ins uh, this past year, or just, you know, what's your... I, d- I did. I, as you know, I've always been a massive proponent of uh, the drive-ins. We survived early parenthood by uh, taking Cormac down to <laughs> the Redwood Theater in Salt Lake, which uh, I think still functioning. And, Magnificent um, Redwood. And, um, you know, often had uh, him asleep in the, in the back there in his first couple years and loved the, the Renaissance. I mean, everyone from just not just formal, but these independent um, productions in towns like we had here in Park City, thanks to the film series and others, and, and uh, cooperation with Utah at Olympic Park. John and I turned it up to 11 one night there. <laughs> um, and then just tra- even in travel, just seeing um, small towns all, all over the place uh, utilize town squares in their parks <clears throat> for weekend showings. And yes, you can only see Moana so many times you know, in, <laughs> at, a, at a town park. But uh, the you know, but I think it was great to see people in a safe environment, hanging out outdoors with families, friends, and, and getting back to the big screen. And so, and coming back to the Invisible Man, that's what I mentioned at, at, at the beginning of the film. You know, that film benefited from a, ni- a 2019 decision to, to move up its release from later in the spring of 2020 to to February of 2020. Very lucky, and got a decent because you know most people don't realize. The bit, most Hollywood films, studio films, make all their revenue, 75% of their revenue in the first 70, 17 days of release. So they got the benefit of that pre-COVID. But then what, what happened, they also made the next decision to move up their video on demand release three to four weeks. And, and what, what you're seeing now is 
as Barbara mentioned, these hybrid business decisions, um, and, and we don't have time to talk about China or the international market today, but that, that's really what is carrying you know, the film industry these days, is the international market in China. But the, the third component of the Invisible Man's success that, it, that a lot of people aren't talking about is the drive-in. It was the perfect film to have legs <laughs> as a hybrid horror film mm-hmm. at the drive That movie made a, a half a million dollars a weekend, f- not a lot, but in, in the survivability of post-COVID for a $7 million budget film, yeah. that, that had legs all summer uh, on dry, almost yeah. exclusively drive-in theaters making a half million dollars a weekend. And the result between all three of those decisions is $142 million gross film on a $7 million budget. So yes, drive-ins can continue yeah. to play a hybrid role in the success of a film. Now that's you know, a stretch of a statement, perhaps, but I'm gonna, I'm, because I'm a fil- film uh, buff that loves drive-in theaters, I'm going to make the argument. Yeah. There, there are certain, certain movies that are great for drive-ins. Maybe Ian Mark Birdman, not so much. Yeah. Not at the drive-in. And so I, we can only hope, you know, the, the rumor is Elizabeth Banks is still tasked with bringing The Invisible Woman as a follow-up for Universal. Uh, and, 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 and that was a big adaptation because Universal shifted you know, they were trying to compete with all the Marvels uh, and, and the, the universe strategy, and they've adapted to go to small storytelling in, in these lower-budget films. And if they're successful with that, you know, that will be a way which, you know, they, Sony, uh, Apple, on the, uh, you know, and, 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 other, and HBO on, on, the, on the video on demand side, you know, can have a share of this market. And I think... Uh, you know, I hope that um, this resurgence in, in drive-ins is a, is a part of that puzzle. Yeah. L- Libby, do you have any memories of the drive-in, or at least the ones you can talk about? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, actually, I think one of the last ones I went to, because the theaters, the drive-in theaters around where we were shut down, um, uh, was uh, not great adventure in our car uh we had two dogs that quarreled with each other and (laughs) which made the the film somewhat uh disjointed for us but anyway i i do love the drive-ins i was so excited to see that people got smart and thought well if we can't be inside all together we can be in a parking lot so um i unfortunately there venice is not a great place for a drive-in so i have i have not been to a drive-in but i would kill to go to one yeah Uh, any any memorable drive-in movies from your younger days um you know i don't remember what movies i saw as drive-ins um they and i didn't see tons of them that way but um i just remember the experience was fun and um quirky unique and even if the car wasn't all that comfortable to sit in, it, it, it was worth it just to have that type of experience. Uh, and uh, you had to remember to un- unhook the speaker and put <laughs> it back before you drove off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, uh, let me, let me uh, b- before our time runs out, I wanted to steer you guys into one more th- a related thing, which was a, the, uh, a documentary I reviewed during, during uh, last year was, uh, uh, was about the last blockbuster store 
remaining on the planet, which is located in Bend, Oregon. And uh, uh, and uh, I actually, I will confess that a little summer vacation I recently finished. I made a pilgrimage to the middle of Oregon and went to Bend to, to, oh, yay. to, find, to find the last blockbuster. But, uh, Lippy, I, 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 you're looking back at those days of the video store. Uh, have you got... Uh, I love them. Yeah. It, it, it was like walking into a library. And yeah. you didn't have to be as quiet, so that was an added bonus. But, oh, to spend hours, I mean, we'd take the, my husband and I would take the girls and, and we'd go up to Blockbuster Video um, up in Park City. And we would spend hours, all of us in our areas, just perusing the titles and pulling them out and reading the back um, of the video box with the description. I mean, it was just like going to a library and spending time rummaging through books. So, um, you know, it, it, I missed that. Um, it, that was much more fun. Mark, you said something earlier about um, that the streaming platforms are not exactly user-friendly. That's what I loved about the blockbusters, that you could go in and they were all there in front of you. And, you know, when you do go out online, I find I kind of have to know exactly what it is I'm looking for, because otherwise you go down endless rabbit holes trying to find something you want to watch. So, yeah, I miss the blockbusters. Uh, yeah. The, uh, and, 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 and other video stores, because yeah, there were I grew others. up in, you know, Podunk, Western Massachusetts, in an old mill town. We had nothing at, for social activity, and we, we had one fast food restaurant, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> And, and it went on a business, and the only glass half full aspect of that is when they closed, a video a video store opened in its place. And uh, that became, you know, if it were winter months, you had like a basketball game to go to to interface with people or try and meet your friends or pick up girls. And if, if it were, if you didn't have a basketball game, you went to the video store and you mold as long as you, your parent were out in the car, you take as long as you possibly could. <laughs> they did, they'd ask you to drop off a film. I, I could take about 90 minutes to drop off a film <laughs> at, at, at the video store. Was there a particular section of the video store that was a, that was a good, good hangout? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, you always hung more new releases or, you know, it, it wasn't, I wasn't in an area or I didn't have the sophistication yet to hang out like in the classic section. And, you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, librarian uh, possible dates there. But uh, it, uh, I think when the, when it came to Utah, who had one of the hidden ones was the Tower. The Tower Theater had, most people don't realize, had a little... Uh, video section for rent. Oh yeah, underneath, and they had a Sundance section, an independent film section, and that was f outstanding. They might still do, but uh, Barbara, uh, uh, just to just to wrap up, any particular memories for you? Did you did you go? Some of those stores had the had the little back room with the beaded with the beads on the entrance, and you knew what kind of films that led. I to. passed through no beads. <laughs> I have been in a blockbuster often enough to appreciate Libby's analogy of comparing it to a library, but I think because I lived overseas um, from the mid-80s to the late 90s, I really don't have a lot of blockbuster video experience, so. Okay. Well, the, uh, well 
we uh, 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 this with this trip down memory lane uh, to the to the new releases. I think we have to wrap up our film panel for uh, uh, for uh, today. And I'd like to thank uh, Libby Wadman out there. You don't go, Libby. And, nice chatting, uh, Libby. Yes. And, oh, I'm so glad to hear your voices. Yes, it's wonderful to be in live. Uh, Barbara Bretz and uh, Mark Man, Mark Man Harrington. Uh, thank you for for being with us this morning. Thanks, Rick. Have a good weekend. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>